Hello and welcome to Vondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, Head of UK Rate Strategy, and I'm joined today by our Global Market Specialists, Giles Gale and John Navruzzi. All right, uh, let's kick off with the UK this week. Uh, we had a lot more data coming in, which pushed uh, yields in one direction. Uh, at least in the UK, guilds have been underperforming all week. Uh, what was your take on that? Yeah, another week of underperformance for guilds. I think we said this, you know, last week that it's not surprising to see guilds underperform, given that I think it was the Bank of England that shifted most dovishly a couple of weeks ago, and then the data since then has only kind of surprised to the upside. Um, and and that's what we saw this week. You know, the the big driver of the underperformance, particularly at the front end was the upside surprise to PMIs. Now, I'd caution a little bit against reading too much into those, given that it was only one print and it remains to be seen, you know, how much this kind of boost to, to the survey data is sustained. It wasn't obvious looking at the the kind of breakdown from, from uh, market who provides the data, what was really driving that beat versus expectations, because ultimately PMIs printed above 50 rather than, than below. So actually, the signal there was that the recession is is off the card. So um, it's it's difficult to read too much into one month of data, particularly when when the driver of that is not especially clear. Um, perhaps the final PMI print next week will give us a bit more clarity on on whether this kind of boost can be sustained or not. But but that was certainly what was driving markets this week. The other bit of important data we had was around public finances, and I think that. Well, that was important, A, because that too became better than expected. You know, many were expecting a deficit in January and it actually posted a surplus. Not as big as we tend to get in January because of the seasonal seasonal effects and big tax receipts, um, but a surplus nonetheless that, that beat expectations. And this, I guess, is, is under particular focus at the moment as we head towards the budget and the updated guilt remit on the 15th of March. Um, I guess that my takeaway here would be, again, that I would just caution markets into reading too much about how much of a downside surprise this might mean for guilt issuance next year. We're heading into a pre-election year, which means that any kind of fiscal headroom or fiscal savings that the government have now are really likely to be um, recycled in some way, either in this spring budget or in the autumn statement, perhaps more likely in the autumn statement, as we're obviously going to be closer to the you know election kind of campaigning period then. But given how far back in the polls the Conservatives are, I think we are going to see some recycling of that savings this time, you know, in the next couple of weeks. One obvious way that that I guess is making more headlines right now is about not raising the um, EPG, the, the cap on energy prices to £3,000 as planned and keeping that at £2,500. So that's a little bit of of cost, I suppose, that might be implied versus what markets were were previously expecting might be a saving. Um, I think that, you know, the other point I would make is also that that the pendulum might have swung quite far in the other direction now in terms of the issuance outlook, given these better than expected public finance data, but also given the narrative around how the government might look for alternative sources of funding, if you like, how they might look to do more via NSNI, National Savings and Investment, the kind of retail investment pool, um, but also how much they might do via bills as well, which would reduce that kind of overall guilt issuance number. 
but it feels like a combination of that and the better public finance data has kind of shifted market expectations such that actually now the skew of risks may well be um, to the upside in terms of guilt issuance and therefore kind of more upward pressure on guilt yields than, than we were previously expecting. Right. But that being said, the supply has been, or at least it looked like it was pretty well digested this week, right? Yeah, I guess we saw a little bit of, of supply driving the underperformance at the beginning of this week. But then actually since then, the third year auction that we had yesterday, we're recording this on, on Thursday, so on Wednesday, the third year auction. And then also today's short auction from the Bank of England, both went pretty well and, and actually have been pretty well absorbed by the market, I think. Supply does pick up again next week. Next week, it's much more concentrated at the long end. We have um, the uh, 38s, we have the long end linker, and we have long uh, Bank of England QT. Um, so it's a bit more kind of long end focused and a bit bigger next week. So there's more duration for the market to take down. And that's then followed up by another week of relatively heavy supply. So there's more to come. And I think that saturation point for markets is is probably looming. Um, but it, it has been a little bit better digested perhaps this week than than we expected. And how does all of that leave your market views then? Unchanged really, you know, uh, given everything that I've said about the data, we, we still think that the Bank of England has probably one more hike in them. So that takes bank rate up to four and a quarter in March. We had Catherine Mann on the wires this morning. Um, you know, she's kind of, well understood to be a, a hawkish member of the committee, in fact, probably the most hawkish member of the committee. Um, but she was talking up the need to kind of still do more um, and also pushing back against cut pricing uh, at the back end of this year, which are both kind of in line with our base case views. But given the underperformance that we've seen at the front end, it feels to me like um, that has adjusted far enough now. You know, the market's pretty fairly priced for A, our base case, but also the way that the risks are skewed. You know, we recognize that the risks are skewed to the upside on our four and a quarter um, forecast for bank rate. But I think the market has kind of internalized that pretty well since the last um, MPC meeting. And, and front ends look more than fairly priced, I would say, actually two years at, at kind of um, 385 look look cheap to me, I think. Um, at the other end of the spectrum, you know, although I, we were talking about supply being better digested than we ha had expected this week, I still think supply generally has weighed more on the longer end of the curve than it has the belly. And so we've seen this kind of strange curve dynamic where um, twos, tens has flattened very aggressively as markets have repriced their kind of rate hike expectations. But then tens, thirties has steepened with this kind of supply QT trade. And I think both of those dynamics have probably gone a little bit too far now. And so where we've seen 10-year outperformance on the curve, I would actually expect to see now 10-year underperformance on the curve. Um, and, you know, that's a combination of both a rate hike expectations having done enough, but also what I was talking about with the public finances and the focus on the guilt remit. I think that although markets are very focused on the overall number, if that does come slightly lower than we've been expecting, perhaps that might facilitate a bit more kind of LDI demand sooner rather than later at the longer end of the curve. But perhaps more importantly for the shape of the curve than the outright kind of direction of travel rates is this skew of, um, of issuance in each maturity bucket. And I think 
um, you know, it's, it's our base case that, that issuance will be much more heavily skewed towards the shorts and mediums and away from the long and the linker buckets, um, which should also kind of weigh on the 10-year sector of the curve more than it weighs on the 30-year, we think. So um, base case views around the Bank of England and the direction of travel of rates still unchanged. We still see 375 in 10-year gilts, which obviously isn't that much further away now. That's 375 with upside risks. Um, but we do think that the 10-year part of the curve should should now underperform versus the twos um, and the 30s. Okay, enough from me. Back to you then, Dan. Let's switch to the US. We had um, a bit of a quieter week this week, I suppose, on the US side, but probably the thing that everyone was most looking out for was the Fed minutes. The minutes are always a funny one, I guess, because you kind of think of them as being a bit old information, especially this time around, given how much has happened since the last Fed meeting. But there's still a policy tool, I suppose. Did we learn anything new from those that, that is really relevant? Uh, we learned something, uh, but it wasn't really that eventful. Of course, there's some incremental bits of information almost every time, but I should preface why, uh, why we cared about the minutes uh, this time more so than more so than I should say like the last time around it was I should I think the reasons are twofold first uh, at the last uh, FOFC meeting during the press conference once when Chair Powell was asked if uh, they're debating any form of a pause or the, you know, the path of or alterations in the path the rate path his answer was not just unclear but Eventually, he kind of finished it off by saying, well, look for the minutes. That's where you're going to see what more of our discussions have looked like. Uh, so that set the stage for the minutes for, the, you know, for market participants to look for the minutes. But also, on the other hand, over the last uh, weeks, we had a few FOMC officials coming up saying, well, actually, at the last meeting, I thought that was a compelling case for a 50 base point hike. So the Cleveland Fed's Loretta Mester or St. Louis Fed's Jim Bullard they both uh, they both came up and uh, said that in retro retroactively they advocated for a fifty basis point hike. Well, they're not voters, so their uh, you know even if they did dissent, it wouldn't have been in the at the FOMC release. But we we wanted to see uh, if the minutes contained discussions around an actual fifty basis point rate hike, or was it one of those things that uh, they retrofit into well the jobs number keeps strong so uh, that's what i would have done and you know with the benefit of hindsight the minutes did mention a few participants uh stated that they were looking forward for a so they put forward a 50 basis point hike instead of a 25 basis point and in fed uh wording i suppose few usually means three to four a non-voting members in this case so they're there was some views of uh, hiking faster than uh, what they did. Uh, it wasn't within the voting committee, so we didn't really get that with the uh, with the February statement. Uh, but that being said, the minutes also looked like, or at least our read on that was that the people who wanted a fifty basis point hike, they didn't really want it to get to a necessarily to a higher level uh, of a terminal rate, but rather get there faster and have time to pause and reevaluate. So. It wasn't so much of a signal that let's keep hiking until we get to six percent or uh, five and you know five eights or something like that, but more so let's hike fast and stop and reevaluate and uh, see how the lags in monetary policy are playing out. And that's why uh, I'm at there really weren't any fireworks. We knew that 
uh, we expected to see some discussion of uh, of faster rate hikes. We saw that, but nothing was overly emphasized. I think I've mentioned this in, in previous recordings too, but they certainly have flexibility in adjusting uh, the language and the minutes. They can, they obviously cannot change the you know, the topic or add in something entirely that wasn't discussed. But if they do want to send a met signal, they could. Uh, that was a reference to the strong labor market, which of course we saw with uh, with NFPs too, but nothing really to alter our uh, terminal rate expectations so far. And what about the data then? I know you know last week was kind of the big data week with inflation, but but this week we got um, the PCE deflator, and today we've had core PCE, um, and that was again stronger than expected. It, it feels like the data here is is really pointing in one direction. How much does a today's data or tomorrow's um, PCE deflator? I know you're obviously <laughs> recording this without the benefit of, of knowing what that number is, but but how much does that matter for the Fed? So today's data revised the the fourth quarter PCE for uh, from three and a half to three point nine percent, and that I suppose comes fairly consistently with the revisions in CPI that we had with the with the last month's data. Uh, as listeners will remember, uh, the last CPI number revised the entire, uh, I think in this case it was like five years, but the, the largest revisions are for the past two years and particularly for the last year. Uh, so, so those revisions uh, basically show that inflation didn't slow down as much. It's just more so like seasonal tweaks, but inflation didn't slow as much into the end of the year, but also the peak came at a little bit of a lower level on a seasonally adjusted basis. And uh, the PC number does look consistent with that. Uh, nothing that surprising, and it doesn't really change our expectation for uh, for tomorrow's figure. But uh, on the GDP side, we saw a, a revision lower in the in the headline index. So uh, that the GDP number for fourth quarter was revised by uh, twenty basis points lower from two point nine to two point seven percent, and particularly. Uh, what grabbed my attention was the revision in the consumption component, which uh, was brought down from 2.1 to well, 1.4%. So uh, an indication that the consumer has been slowing down uh, more than we expected, uh, although not really reflected in the January data, which we can <laughs> talk about. And we have talked about because it could be seasonality and all sorts of uh, warm weather effects maybe. But, uh, but yeah, tomorrow we haven't really changed it, but I think uh, back to what I what I said last week after the CPI that uh, the weakness that we saw in services in CPI is just not going to spill over that much into PCE because of uh, measurement differences and weighting differences. Uh, so we are looking for a firm 0.5 in the in the PCE read tomorrow. And for clarity for our listeners, I should have said this at the beginning, but PCE is <laughs> personal consumption expenditure. And CPI is a consumer price index, and they're basically both, you know, different ways of, of measuring inflation in the economy. Okay, Giles, over to you then, because we also had, it wasn't just the UK, of course, that we had strong survey data. Um, we had it in Europe too, um, with the PMIs. How much does that matter? And we had more than PMIs as well, of course. We had a study that we, IFO, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, it, it, it clearly matters, right? Uh... But I think it's all really just confirming the theme that really ought to have been expected all along, uh, which is that energy is driving everything and it's good news for the European economy. And naturally, that is boosting uh, business 
expectations, business sentiment from exceptionally low levels that we did reach last year. I mean, it, let's not forget that we did reach very, very bad levels. But listen, uh, no, things, are, things are turning around. Good, no, it's good news. But then I guess that the, the secondary question, well, maybe, maybe the, the primary question really is, uh, is, is what all of that means for inflation. And, you know, I don't think that it's all that obvious that this is very inflationary. Uh, you know, usually people kind of equate strong growth with, with, with strong for inflation. But, you know, I don't think you necessarily would immediately make that leap. Um, and it's certainly not viewing it as a game changer for you know, this is what's going to cause inflation to be much slower in returning back towards target. But it does remove or reduce some of the tail risk uh, where inflation collapses because we might have been in a nasty recession in the near term. And so markets are kind of taking that on board as well. Uh, now, broadly for me, you know, I think that this is all consistent with a sort of softer landing kind of story. And it makes it easier for or to see the ECB holding at its peak for longer so i think it's just all in line with that i have a longer story yeah so i wanted to ask you about that because we're still slightly more dovish than the market in terms of our ecb expectations and it really felt like until last week that ecb rhetoric was all one way but actually we had panetta last week and then villoir this week who have been slightly more dovish you'd say higher for longer but but you still are at the more dovish end of the spectrum so how do you kind of square you know a better data outlook with that more dovish uh view well listen i mean i think first of all then you've already said it that you know, we hadn't heard from the doves for quite a long time you just heard the hawks repeating the same thing over and over again and now, I think for us, the story has been that you know, we are expecting a bit of a downgrade to the ECB staff projections in March, uh, in particular for inflation from 2024 and beyond. And along with that, you should expect a softening in the rhetoric because this is no longer going to be about raising rates quickly and catching up and so on. It's much more, if the data turns out a little bit stronger than expected, maybe we've got a bit lost. It's a little bit weaker. Maybe we've got a little bit less uh, to do. So no data dependency. Um, I think that that does seem like it's starting to track as a fee. Uh, although, you know, we haven't a great, you know, we, we don't have a lot of, um, brothers. <laughs> Now, we need more data to, 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 to validate that. But I mean, you know, even though we had a, an upward revision to the, the CPI this week, uh, now the back of a higher uh, out, out to, to, to Germany compared to what had been sort of imputed by Eurostats. Um, and I think it, it, it's, you know, we, we, we shouldn't miss the fact that inflation is coming down more quickly than people thought at the end of last year. And inflation is being led by lower energy prices. And so you know, on the Hawk side, you know, they want all the indicators in the same direction, including, of course, core. Whereas the Dove say, wait, no, actually, you know, we, you know, we don't necessarily need to, to see core 
inflation coming off as quick. And by the way, core actually was a little bit higher. It was uh, it tanked up from 5.2 to 5.3 percent. But you know that's also being driven by energy prices. And you know, for us, really, Anita, the end of last week, nailed it. I mean, he he was he was saying, well, energy Matt, energy what really is driving everything. That's what matters most, and that's a good story. Uh, the energy subsidies which were supposed to depress inflation but, uh, in 2023. But then as they came off, they were supposed to increase inflation in 2024. Well, they're not going to be needed to be used nearly as much. And so that then also brings down inflation quite a bit. And so, and then on the wages side, well, you know, that's still uncertain. And you know, wages are definitely setting higher, but no higher than had been previously expected. So um, now that's not necessarily that's not necessarily tracking worse in, in the sense that yeah. all these things that are going to bring their inflation projections down but not uh, necessarily push them over you don't have any uh, pushing back on that as uh, as a crest. And what about the longer end of the curve then? You know, one of the themes we've both been talking about a lot is this kind of risks around supply saturation and indigestion but actually in both Europe and the UK this week it seemed like supply was relatively well absorbed would you agree with that how how are the risks tracking for that yeah I mean listen I, it, there, there has been a global theme of uh, of bond supply going a little bit but maybe actually being taken down pretty well this week and I think that that we have seen yields rise an awful lot so you know, yeah. that should improve the the takedown uh the demand surf these events um no i mean if you, if you look at the german supply there were five there's a five-year and a 10-year auction uh now there's a little bit funny because there's always level you know, there's an element of window dressing um and so i wouldn't go state and then by window dressing i mean that this you know banks trying to try, trying to make their, their their numbers look good because they're hoping for other business good with um, the, the the finance agency for uh um then and, and then there was uh maybe a little bit of a confusing 30-year syndication in in germany where uh, yesterday you know, maybe it was a little bit late in the week and then they came and announced it and we had a we we had quite a big concession that as an Rice yields right at the long end to only uh, to accommodate that, and then you know, there was buying this morning, and um, you know it see it well. I mean that that has gone very well uh, as a result of I suppose the the concession of the the perhaps and I think perhaps interest brought in uh, with that or or for other reasons. But listen, I don't think this overturns the overall sense that we are experiencing some indigestion okay and no i absolutely stick by the idea that investors are i don't think there's a big positioning overhang or anything like that and certainly not on the on the short side and that would be excessively supportive for the market and i think that investors really as i've said before need the comfort that the macro is moving in the right direction ever more decisively in order to, uh, to take down the, uh, the, the, the supply. And you know, I just think that's going to get worse. And at the moment, we don't have the data tracking in the disinflationary 
direction as strongly as you would need to, to see that. So no, no, no change really there from us. We're still direction. Mm-hmm. All eyes on CPI still looking new. Okay, I think that's enough for today. We will catch up again next week. Thank you both for joining me and thank you to our listeners for listening. Just a reminder, if you liked today's episode, please don't forget to hit the like button and click subscribe so you can get the latest episodes as soon as they're available. Thanks, see you next week.